Have you been blessed this past week? Have you been seeking a deeper filling of the Holy Spirit? I've been thinking about, continuing to think about the ten virgins that we talked about last week and just how much I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, how much I want to make sure that my vessel is filled with oil. I want that close relationship with Jesus. I don't want to come to the end and find him saying, I don't know you. I want to know Jesus. We're in a sermon series, for those of you that haven't been with us or haven't been here for a little bit, and we're going through talking about our need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because it's very interesting that in all of Jesus' teachings, the thing that he dwells the most largely upon is the filling of the Holy Spirit, is the gift that he's going to give in giving the comforter, giving the helper, giving the Holy Spirit. So that's why we're focusing on this, because it's a very essential thing. And we saw last week that with Jesus on the brink of coming back to this world, it's one of the most essential things we can study, and that is how can we be sure that we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Next week is going to be very exciting. I'm going to be speaking at a, a camp meeting in Wisconsin. So Leah is going to be sharing a bit of her testimony with you, which goes right along with the sermon series that we're in. So you don't want to miss next week. It's going to be a very exciting thing, something that's been a huge blessing to my life as I've watched God work in Leah's life, and I've heard her share this bit of her testimony before. It's a very inspiring thing. So you don't want to miss next Sabbath. And be praying for her this week. Uh, She just wants the Spirit to, to speak through her. As I begin speaking this morning, I'd just like to have another word of prayer. Father in heaven, we come to you as the Father who likes to give us good gifts, who wants to give us the Holy Spirit. And this morning, we're hungry for more. We come to you wanting to hear a word from you, wanting to know Jesus better. Lord, we want to walk out of here having been changed by you. So I just ask, Lord, that you would remove any distractions, that that nothing would be said except for that which is according to your will. Lord, I claim the promise of Matthew 10, 20, for it is not you who speak, but the Father, the Spirit of the Father that speaks in you. Lord, may it be your Holy Spirit that speaks to our hearts through your word this morning. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I moved to California at about the age of 10, And it was just like a whole new country to me because I came from Pennsylvania. And in California, you have big mountains, you have big oceans, you have all kinds of exciting things for a 10-year-old to do. And so that first summer, my mom began to take me around to do different things. And one of the things she took me to do the first summer I was here as a 10-year-old was to go surfing. We went over to Santa Cruz and we got surfboards and we went down to the beach where they had these long, slow, rolling waves. And I learned to surf. And it was so much fun. You had these foam boards that as a 10-year-old you could just stand on and, and, and the wave would push you along slowly. It was very easy. I could stand there on that board without a wave because it floated so well. I thought surfing was easy and it was fun until I went uh, to another level of surfing and I, my brother sold me his short board, which is about seven feet tall, and uh, I began to try to learn to, to surf on that. And I was like, I can't stand on this by myself anymore. And then all of a sudden, one day I was out surfing with it. And, you know, some people like, I was talking to Peter the other day, and he was saying, you know, the surf's too small for me to go out right now. For me, uh, those small waves, those are nice. But when you get a six-foot wave and you're looking down this, 
you're just dropping straight down about three, four feet and then pulling into a six-foot wave, you're just thinking, this is way too big. I'm going to hurt myself. There's a lot of power here. But I've always been inspired by those who surf even bigger waves than that. In fact, I named my chameleon after a surfing spot in Hawaii called Piahi. You know, people began to learn that you can't paddle fast enough to get into some of these really big waves. So they, there's this place in Hawaii called Piahi, which means jaws in Hawaiian, I understand. And they began to do something called toe-in surfing. Now, this is, happens, a jet ski pulls a surfer into these massive waves, and then the jet ski goes out of the wave, and the surfer is going fast enough to be able to surf these waves. The next slide, you see Robert McNamara. They try to get bigger and bigger waves until finally in 2011, Robert McNamara had surfed the biggest wave that had been surfed up to that point. This wave was 78 feet high. Actually, the previous wave was 78 feet high. But he wasn't satisfied. He kept looking for bigger waves. And you would think, you know, Hawaii, that makes sense that there's big waves in Hawaii. But there's actually a place that produced an even bigger wave. That's the next slide. This is off the coast of Portugal. This is a wave that Robert McNamara rode that was 100 feet tall. Peter, would you surf that? No. I definitely would. And a six-foot wave scares me, but I can't imagine riding down the face of a 100-foot wave. It's so incredibly powerful. If you get tumbled by a, a six-foot wave, you're going to feel it. It's going to make, make a difference uh, in your life. Uh, but this wave, if you see, it's crashing down around him, and he's just riding down the front of the wave. What caused this massive wave? What caused this, this huge wave? Well, interesting that they tell us that there was a huge windstorm off the coast of Portugal, off in, it was it's a few hundred miles away. It was called the St. Jude's Windstorm. And this windstorm had waves that uh, had uh, wind that was blowing at about 120 miles per hour. And this, this wind blew, it began to stir up these waves. And eventually you get this massive wave, this 100 foot high wave that he was able to to ride down. There's actually a picture there of the, the windstorm on the, the weather map. That's the St. Jude's windstorm. 120 miles an hour winds. And as the, the waves begin to go across the sea, finally they make these massive 100 foot high waves that he surfed. An incredible amount of power comes through the wind. Let's open to John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, the scripture reading for this morning, we find that Jesus compares the Holy Spirit and how it works in our life to the wind. John chapter 3, we find that Nicodemus comes to Jesus. He comes to Jesus at night, but he's been seeing some of the things that Jesus has been doing. He's been seeing the miracles that Jesus is working, and he's recognizing there's something special about Jesus. He's still a little embarrassed, though, and so he comes to Jesus at night, and he asks Jesus a very important question. Well, he doesn't even necessarily ask Jesus anything, but Jesus knows the question of his heart. In verse 2, he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs you, that you do unless God is with him. In verse 3, Jesus answers, and he cuts right to the chase of what Nicodemus is really doesn't even recognize about himself. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
Now, Jesus is saying this to a rabbi, to somebody who was a leader in Israel, somebody who if anybody knew the kingdom of God and what it should look like, it should have been Nicodemus. So imagine the pride that Nicodemus felt in his heart, how that would have stuck him to hear Jesus say, you need to be born again. You need to become like a little child in your faith in order for you to see the kingdom of God or else you can't even see it. Nicodemus goes on to say, well, how could a man be born again? How, and we've talked about this before, and Jesus tells him that most assuredly you must be born of water and of the Spirit. Notice how Jesus goes on to describe what this process looks like. In verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Now, in verse 8, Jesus goes into what is basically a play of words if we could read it in the Greek. Because the word for wind and the word for spirit are the same in Greek. Okay, so when he says wind in this coming verse, he's using the same word that he's been using to talk about the spirit, pneumatos. The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus says everybody who is born of the Spirit is just like the wind. As it blows through the trees, you don't see the wind. You don't know where it comes from or where it's going, but you see the effects of it. You see that massive 100-foot wave that's just coming to crash on the shore in Portugal. You see what that powerful wind is able to do. And so you know that there was wind. It's the same way in our lives. When we've been born again, when the Holy Spirit comes in, the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace. When you see that in somebody's life, you see the genuine attributes of the Spirit of gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. When you see those things in somebody's life, you can say the Spirit has been here. The Spirit has been at work. The Spirit is blowing like the wind in that person's life. And it's having an effect. It's making a difference. But what I want to know is how do I have the Spirit blow in my life? How do I make sure that the Spirit can be effective, that the Spirit can come with power, that I can have a massive tidal wave effect in my life? Well, there's something very interesting about wind. How is wind caused? What creates the wind? Where does the wind blow towards? You know, weather predictors attempt to tell us when the wind is going to blow, how hard the wind is going to blow. And they don't always get it right, but they have an idea about the wind. And that is because of something simple. And that is barometric pressure. If you've seen it before, you've seen the weatherman on the weather channel. And he says, well, we have a high pressure system here and we have a low pressure system here. And so this storm is going to be heading towards, where does the storm always head towards? The storms come in a low-pressure system. Why is it that a low-pressure system creates a storm? Well, if you have something that's high-pressure, that means there's more molecules, more, uh, there, there's a higher barometric pressure in the high-pressure system. The wind always blows towards the low-pressure, towards the area where there's less molecules, the, the area that is more, shall we say, empty, In fact, if we were able to create a perfectly empty space, what would that be called? A vacuum. If we could create a perfectly empty space, the wind would rush into that space immediately if we allowed any other higher pressure system to have the chance. 
This, this has massive impacts just for California right now because we're in the middle of a drought. And we're in the middle of this drought because we have this huge high pressure system that won't let these storms come in to California and bring us rain. What we need in California is a low pressure system. This is a little hard to grasp on a big scale. Um, I know when I've described it to some people, they say, well, I, I don't really get the wind blowing from one pressure system to another pressure system. But there's something very simple that you have in your house that can help you to understand this a little better. I don't know what you like to eat for breakfast, but we had some guests come here the other week, and uh, the girls got some rice cereal. Now, it was interesting. I was looking under the, um, the bar afterwards, and, and you see a little bit of cereal ends up being spilled there. And so, what do you do when cereal gets spilled on the floor in your house? What do you need? A vacuum cleaner, right? A vacuum cleaner. It's very interesting that we use something that we don't always think very much about how it actually works. But we have this nice little handy uh, Auric XL hand vacuum cleaner that was given to us. Works quite well. So let me just plug it in here. So when you spill some food in your house, you take out your vacuum cleaner and you turn the switch on and it immediately creates suction. And usually you don't think anything about how that just happened. But if you notice in a vacuum cleaner in the back, there's a little hole here where the engine of your vacuum cleaner is going to force the air out of this chamber, creating somewhat of a vacuum inside of this chamber. It's going to create a lower pressure inside of the vacuum, which causes this part of the vacuum to suck in the wind. The wind begins to blow into your vacuum cleaner, and that wind blowing in as fast as it can to fill this empty space, it begins to create suction. And so it takes care of our rice cereal quite easily. Nozzle. But we can be very thankful for this simple principle that works to clean up our houses on a weekly basis and to clean up the messes when we have people that come to visit us. A vacuum is a very, very powerful thing. So what does this have to do with the Holy Spirit? How does this in any way impact my life and my being filled with the Holy Spirit? Jesus uses this principle, saying that the Holy Spirit, it blows where it wishes, and you see the effects of it. And he uses this right after a very interesting story, a little earlier in John chapter 2. Because when Nicodemus comes, he says, you do these signs, you do these great things, and clearly God must be with you. So what are the signs that Nicodemus has seen? What are the things that have been going through Nicodemus' mind as he's watched Jesus? John has told us what Jesus has been up to so far. In John chapter 2, we find the very first sign, and that is that Jesus turned the water into wine. John... Nicodemus must have heard about this miracle at the wedding feast, and it must have been an incredible thing. Maybe we'll get to see something like that at Candace's wedding. We'll get to see the, the drinks multiplied, and we'll, we'll have some fresh grape juice. Um, it would be an incredible thing to have Jesus at your wedding, wouldn't it? But then, right after this, Jesus does something else. In John chapter 2 and verse 13, 
Now remember, these are the things that Nicodemus is coming to Jesus saying, clearly, God must be with you because you're doing all these signs. You're doing all these incredible things. I know that God is with you. And Jesus has just done this. In verse 13, it says, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. This is one of the first times that we find Jesus in his public ministry going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus does something drastic. You know, we've been talking about what it would have been like to be in Jesus' presence. How wonderful it would have been to be one of his disciples. Just to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Just to be there while he taught his disciples from the mount. Incredible thing to have Jesus with you. And that's what the Holy Spirit is all about. It's about having the presence of Jesus in our hearts. But here we see a picture of Jesus that's a little different than what we like to picture. Here we see a picture of Jesus that's a little bit more fierce than we're used to picturing. In verse 15, it says this, When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. Can you imagine Jesus doing this? Jesus grabbing some cords and making it into a whip and walking into the temple and driving out these people who are selling the the oxen and the doves and who are making all this fuss in the temple and he begins to overturn tables and the money's going everywhere and people are looking and saying, who is this man? Where did he come from? And what gives him such authority to walk into the temple and to just clean it out like this? Why did Jesus make such a fuss over what was going on in the temple? Verse 16 says, And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Verse 17, Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. Why was it that Jesus did this? His disciples realized later on that it was because it is written. Zeal for my house will consume him. And he did this because isn't my house supposed to be a house of prayer? He did this actually twice. This is the first time when he clears out the temple. Go back with me and we'll look at the other time in Mark chapter 11. It's very fascinating how Jesus twice goes into the temple and he totally clears it out of all the business, all the rush and the bustle that's going on in the temple. And he clears it out so that it can be a place where people can worship in peace. Mark chapter 11 and verse 15, Jesus comes to the temple, to Jerusalem, and then it says, Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. This is a complete takeover of the temple. Here Jesus is, and he's not even letting anybody walk through the temple carrying their wares to sell anymore. Jesus has completely taken over the temple. Jesus wants to completely take over the temple. Jesus wants the temple to be all about worshiping the Father, all about having that peaceful time in his presence. Verse 17, he tells them why he's doing this. 
Then he taught, saying them to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. Why was it that Jesus did what he did to the temple? What gave Jesus the right to walk in and do this? What, why did he do it? What was the reason that he gave them? He said, it is written. He said, this has been written back in the, in the book of Isaiah that, that my father's house should be a house of prayer. And so he went into the temple and he emptied it out of everything that was contrary to it being a house of prayer. He, and he began to just go through and not allow anyone to even walk through and to be selling anything anymore in the house. And in the... I love what it says in the Review and Herald, March 15, 1892. It says, We need to be constantly filling the mind with Christ and emptying it of selfishness and sin. Just as surely as you empty your mind of vanity and frivolity, the vacuum will be supplied with that which God is waiting to give you, the Holy Spirit. Jesus knew that if he could just take the people's minds away from the buyers and sellers, the busyness that was going on in the temple, if he could just focus them on his Father, that the Holy Spirit could come in and work in their lives in a powerful way. Friends, you and I are to be the temple of the living God. Jesus wants to come and he wants to take up residence in my house. In your house. He wants to live inside of me. And what a wonderful thing to have the presence of Jesus. And in his presence, Psalm 1611 tells us, is fullness of joy. I want Jesus to be with me always. I want to have my best friend next to me at every moment of my life. But in order for that to take place, I need to allow him to get rid of the buyers and sellers in my life. I need to allow that it is written to take effect in my life. To say, Jesus, what are some of the things in my life that are keeping me back from being filled with the Holy Spirit? Because I want nothing more than to have the presence, the love, the joy, the peace that comes, the, the, the effects of that mighty rushing wind that you promise will come in when I'm emptied of self. You know, we're told in The Desire of Ages, one of my favorite authors writes, that in cleansing the temple from the world's buyers and sellers, Jesus announced his mission to cleanse the heart from the defilement of sin, from the earthly desires, the selfish lusts, the evil habits that corrupt the soul. This gives me a lot of hope because I've tried to get things right in my life. I've tried to, to, well, I know that this is, hurts my relationship with Jesus. I know that I shouldn't be doing this and so I'm just going to stop today. But without Jesus coming into the temple of my heart and allowing him to cleanse the buyers and sellers, I can't do it. You've probably known what it's like. It's frustrating. Even just to try to have the fruits of the Spirit in your life, trying to manifest those things of love and joy and peace. I'm going to be nice to this person. I'm going to love them. But without the Holy Spirit, that's a miserable thing to try to do. It doesn't work so well until we're filled with the presence and the love of Jesus. 
So how is it that we're filled with the love of Jesus? It's by being emptied of self. There's another quote from the book, The Faith I Live By. The Holy Spirit will enter the heart that can boast of nothing. The love of Jesus will fill the vacuum that is made by the emptying out of self. It was a while back when I, uh, some friends and I were praying for about 10 days straight. Every morning we'd wake up in the morning and we were praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We'd get together on a conference call and we'd pray for about an hour just asking that God would fill us with the Holy Spirit. Asking that God would make a difference in our life because this is the most wonderful gift that God could promise us. The Holy Spirit is everything that I want. I want to have constant love. I want to have constant joy. I want to have constant peace. I want to be a witness to the world. And that only way that's going to take place is if I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. So day by day we were just asking God, would you please fill us with the Holy Spirit? And on the last day of those 10 days, I remember waking up in the morning and we got on the phone and as we were praying, began to ask God to fill us with the Holy Spirit, it suddenly hit me, Zach, can I trust you to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Can, would you really be able to handle the power that you're asking for properly? Because you want to use it to do your own things. You have your ideas about the stuff you want to accomplish. And you think that if you're going to get this power, then you're going to use it for your own glory. I hadn't really recognized before how so much of what I was doing was about me. Even when it came to church, when it came to speaking, when it came to anything that I was doing, so much of my life can be based on what people think about me. And so if God were to come in and just mightily transform my life in an instant so that I suddenly had this power to be able to pray for people and they were healed, to be able to preach sermons where thousands are converted in a moment, what's that going to do to me? I'm probably going to begin to take the credit and begin to think, wow, you know, I'm a pretty good person. In fact, I began to realize if God were to have blessed me like that, I probably would have ended up lost. I began to realize I am so thankful that God waits to fill me with the Holy Spirit, to fill me with that power that I long for until he knows that I'm emptied of my own selfish purposes, until I'm emptied of all the pride, until I finally say, Jesus, this is all about you, until I have the attitude of John the Baptist in John Uh, 3 verse 30 where he says I must decrease and he must increase till that is the attitude of my heart I can't have that power for witness but when we are emptied of self when it's no longer about us anymore but it's all about Jesus it's about how can I put a smile on Jesus face today how can I make Jesus day better today when all I can think about is how can I make my best friend Jesus' kingdom increase, then that wind's going to begin to blow. And like a rushing wind, it's going to come flowing into our lives, just like it did to the apostles and the 120 who were gathered in the upper room. Do you remember what took place? Let's go to Acts chapter 2. 
They'd spent 10 days in earnest prayer, earnest heart searching, just asking God to forgive them of sin, to cleanse them, and to prepare them for this incredible gift that Jesus had promised them. And in Acts chapter 2, it describes what takes place on the day of Pentecost. In verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. In order to be in one accord, you have to let your pride go. It can't be just about me anymore. It has to be about the people that are sitting in the circle with me. It has to be about the people who are in church with me. It has to be about my family. I have to be looking out for them first. That's what it takes to be in one accord. And then look in verse 2. What happens when they're finally emptied of self? They're finally all about God and all about their neighbor. Verse 2 says, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Friends, the wind always blows to the place of lowest pressure. The wind always blows towards the vacuum. It's the vacuum effect. And God will fill your life with the Holy Spirit when you are emptied of self, when you're emptied of all the buyers and sellers, all those things that are holding you back from the presence of Jesus. And when he comes rushing in like a mighty wind, you're going to see incredible things happen. You're going to see the world, as it says later on in Acts, turned upside down by the power of Jesus. You're going to see the Christian church explode just like it did in the days of Acts. When we are emptied of self, when we're emptied of all those things that are limiting Jesus from working in our life, we will see the Holy Spirit poured out like we've never witnessed before. The desire of ages says this, he who loves Christ the most will do the greatest amount of good. There is no limit to the usefulness of the one who by putting aside self makes room for the working of the Holy Spirit upon his heart. No limit to the good. Absolutely no limit. The, the greatest thing you can think of, God wants to do even greater things than that when we put self aside. Who by putting self aside makes room for the working of the Holy Spirit upon his heart and lives a life wholly consecrated to God. When Leah and I were dating, I shared with you about how there was that box in the back corner of my closet. When we got engaged, it had uh, some love notes in it and some other things from past relationships. And after that night of being engaged, the next day she said to me, you know, don't you think it's time for that box to go? And I was happy to get rid of that box because I knew that it would only grow our love. That, that having a little more space for love in our relationship would only make it that much better. She also helped me see some other things in my room. We were just cleaning out different shelves on my bookcase shelves. And we went through and, and there were some things that I'd had from, from high school. Some CDs that weren't exactly Christian, not at all really. I hadn't listened to them in years, but they were still there just sitting on the shelf and they're taking up space and really hanging on to those things was taking up space in my own heart. I hadn't really been ready to let everything go for Jesus. I was hanging on to things that were totally opposite to what the kingdom of heaven is all about. They were things that Jesus came and died on the cross in order to be able to free us from. And yet I was enjoying listening to them. I had some other things on DVDs that she said, why do you have this movie? 
said, well, it's, you see the, the themes of good versus evil. And, and I think that the, the director was even a Christian. And she just said, oh, okay. She didn't say anything. She's a smart wife. But the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And it, I don't know how much later it was when finally I was like, you know, let's get rid of that. You're, you're totally right. I don't need that anymore. And you know, getting rid of those things in my life, clearing out the buyers and sellers, only made my relationship with Jesus so much better. Jesus doesn't come in and try to take away things from us that are beneficial in our lives. Jesus only comes in and asks us to remove those things which are creating harm in our lives. So how do I know for sure what it is that's creating harm in my life? You know, in the previous community that I lived in, there was a a man who had a sore in his mouth. And he went to the doctor, he went to the oral surgeon actually, who was a, a, a church member, and as he talked with him and he showed him the sore in his mouth, the, the surgeon said, well, would you let me just biopsy that sore? And the man, he was an older gentleman, he said, no, no, you can't. Don't, I, I just wanted you to come and look at it. No, you can't biopsy it. The old surgeon later told me, he said, if he would have let me biopsy it, I would have taken the whole thing out because I knew what it was. I knew that it was life-threatening. I knew that it was cancer that would take his life. But he refused. He refused to even have it tested, to see if it might be harmful, if it might be harmful to his life. And it wasn't but a few months later that he passed away from cancer. The doctor knew that it was harmful to his life. The doctor knew that it was going to take his life. And Jesus only takes those things from us that are going to take our lives. He only takes those things from us that are going to hurt us. He only clears room for the Holy Spirit so that we can be filled with the joy of his salvation. Jesus just wants a closer relationship with us. So do you want to be emptied so that you can have a mighty rushing wind that flows into your heart? That affects every area of your life? That is like a mighty tidal wave that that rushes over Templeton and Atascadero and Paso Robles, that the world sees the love of Jesus because we have been set on fire by the Holy Spirit. You know, as we empty, we need to remember the principle that Jesus, as he went in to clear out the temple, he cleared it with an it is written. Friends, don't just empty yourself out and then expect that whatever comes is from God. Sometimes we think, well, this must be the moving of the Holy Spirit, but that's a dangerous place to be in. Jesus told the story about the, uh, the parable about the person who emptied and swept out their house and then left it empty. And then what took place? Seven demons more dangerous came and filled that house because it was left empty. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to be emptied of the things which are harmful. And the only way to really know what those things are is by an it is written. For my own life, one of the best that I found is Philippians 4, verse 8. Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good report, dwell on these things. Fill yourself with these things and evaluate the things in your life based upon these principles 
And verse 9 says, And the God of peace will be with you. The Holy Spirit will come. You will be filled with the presence of God when you focus on the things of God, when you focus on Jesus, when you're filled with his word. Friends, let's go on a journey of being filled with the Holy Spirit, of being emptied of self, and of being totally and completely open to the presence of Jesus. If it's your desire to allow Christ to totally empty you out, I just want to invite you to kneel with me as I pray. Father, you've said that if my people will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, that you will hear from heaven, you'll forgive our sin, you will heal our land. Lord God, we just want to humbly come before you and say we're not even capable of emptying out our hearts of the buyers and sellers, the things which distract us, the things which take up our time. But we're here asking that you would come and that you would cleanse the temple, that you would make room for the Holy Spirit to move in our lives. God, we want to surrender absolutely everything and anything that is holding us back from this most precious gift, which will fill us with all the joy that we're looking for, all the love that we're looking for, all the peace that we're looking for. We give you full permission to reveal these things to us. And Lord, we're going to go through Scripture and ask you to show us this week, within it is written, what are the things in our life that need to be cleansed, that need to be taken out, And we're going to allow you to fill us with your loving presence because there's nothing better than friendship with Jesus. Lord, we surrender all today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.